So before I get into the heavy, I it's so funny because this morning God told me, it's crazy how it's really easy for me to be transparent and vulnerable and actually share all the hard. What's awkward and hard for me to share is all the epic, right? Because we are so conditioned to not share that. And the Lord's like, no disclaimers, I want you to share it all because it's all my glory, right? So I'm going to give a real quick background just for those that you don't know. Um, I, <laughs> horrific. I, won't, I don't even want to go into detail of the horrific of my childhood. Um, it's gross. It's really gross. Um, but I didn't know that I was programmed, literally, to take care of the hearts of the people that were taking absolutely everything from me. And I literally was so programmed to apologize to someone for raping me, right? Like that whole, I'm sorry that there's something bad inside of me that made you do that to me, right? I didn't know all this stuff was still so stuffed inside and that parts of that literally had uh, leaked into my everyday life, like even being around people, Christians, doing not nice things. Let me take care of your heart, right? So I became an addict. At 28 years old, I never knew an addict. I never had anybody in my sphere that never knew an alcoholic. Um, but I, during a time in my life that all these memories started to pop up of all the childhood traumas and you know, my parents got arrested when I was 12 or 13, yeah, um, for obviously sexual abuse, SRA, all that kind of, satanic ritual abuse, all that kind of stuff. And so, I'm, I know, okay, Lord, I'm going to jump all over the place. I need you to be my words. I'm trying to get somewhere quick because I want to get into what he's done the last year and a half, almost two years. But I have to paint a picture. All, I never got counseling. I never got help. It was all inside. Um, met my husband at 18, got married at 19, had Anthony at 20, Dominic at 21. I do everything on fast forward still, <laughs> except for the last two years. <laughs> and um, I just wanted to be a good person. I look back, and even in all the pain and hardcoreness, I just wanted to be a good person. That's all I ever wanted. You know, I wanted people to like me. I wanted to be worth something, right? Like, like, but I really think that it was so deep inside of me that I never wanted to be a typical stereotype of an abuse victim. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to resemble my family, right? Because they're gross, right? And, um, but yet I loved and protected them. It's really weird. So long story short, I have some medical issues, and I end up <laughs> discovering pain pills, and I became invincible, and all my problems went away, and I went from snapping at my kids to, now that's not okay behavior. We're not going to do that because I was high, and it, I remember having the conscious thought when I realized it was the pills making me nice and soft and sweet and gentle. I'm a better person on this medication. The next 10 years were gone. At the end of those 10 years, I'd spent three years on the streets of Portland, Oregon, had five teeth, was 430 pounds. Yeah, I'm killing it, right? Um, and I was, you take this big personality, and it works under the wrong spirits, let me tell you. I was the best addict out there, and I could lie and connive anyone. I could talk a doctor into anything, and it almost killed me. And... The fact is, is all that pain was still inside, and now the drugs don't work anymore. Now I'm nodding off on methadone like a heroin addict and uh, killed my relationship with my boys. Thank you, God, for restoration. Um, and then August 25th, 14 years ago, um, they pumped 87, 80 milligram Oxycontins out of my stomach trying to take my life. And a woman came in my room and said, I'm not supposed to do this, and I could lose my job, but God's been telling me for two hours to tell you that he loves you, and if you look up, he's going to pull you out of this. And I was so full of hate and anger that I said, F God. 
But even though those are the words that came out of my mouth, something shattered inside of me. And I started weeping. What I now know to be like the deepest soul cry ever. And it was just like, you know, you talk about all the years now that I've done counseling. I got to take these off. Um, all the years now that I've done counseling, in the spirit, when people get attached to the ick that they're holding inside, it, in what, the way I see it in the spirit is it comes out like black sludge. And I would imagine I had buckets coming out. And then through the crazy supernatural train of events, I landed in faith-based recovery. And that first morning after smuggling in all my psych meds, because mind you, I also had been in the psych ward 19 times, diagnosed with schizophrenia, bipolar, everything you can imagine, and on enough drugs for 15 years and highly medicated, aside from drugs. <laughs> and I got rid of the drugs, but I smuggled all my psych meds in because I really believed if I didn't have these drugs that I was going to have this crazy episode and they were going to kick me out because I was crazy. And so... But that morning, I just felt the weight of God. And I believe that was my first moment of surrender. The second one involves Joel. <laughs> um, and I, <laughs> I literally sat on the edge of my bed and dumped out all these psych meds. And I said, okay, God, I'm done picking and choosing what parts of me. Oh, by the way, if any of you guys are on them, please do not stop taking your medication. Please. This is my story, and it's just my testimony. Please do not do that. I am not against psych meds. This is just my moment where I was at. Um, but I said, God, I'm done picking and choosing what parts of me you can have. It's all or nothing. And I have to trust you even with this. And, you know, I never had one withdrawal, not one. However, within a week, I had a radical encounter with Jesus directly, as real as any human in front of me. Problem with that was, now I knew how good God was and that he wasn't who I was raised to believe he was, which made my guilt and shame want to take me out. <laughs> because now I'm like, you are so good, and I am so bad. I am so bad. And then I had another really crazy encounter with God, and <laughs> I won't tell this whole testimony, but it's really funny. It involved the pool of butts that I was choosing to keep myself in, God was like, you keep coming at me with, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. So it was a funny exchange between God and I. Once I got out of the pool, we were cool. Um, and I was done with all the butts, <laughs> all the guilt and shame. So year-long, okay, so radical encounter with God directly. Then my spiritual gifts blow up. And this part I usually leave out of my testimony. I might say my spiritual gifts blow up, but I don't ever go into detail because somewhere along the way I got wounded and started to apologize for how powerful my gifts were. The fact is, is all the things that got me diagnosed schizophrenic, schizophrenic bipolar is that I was actually crazy spiritually gifted. And because of all the traumas that I endured and the horrific violence I endured, I had so many strongholds that I was actually tormented through my own giftings. Well, now I wasn't. And now I'm head over heels in love with Jesus on this connect. And now I see demons. I see people's spiritual gifts. I can know demons' names. I can look at anyone and say, this is what's attacking you. This is what you're partnered with. This is the lie that you're believing. And go in with Jesus and heal that wound. And then it dismantles, right? So now I'm in a rehab for a year. I touch people. Demons leave. People get healed. All these miracles are happening. And now the first level of church prostitution starts. I don't know it because guess what? I still think I'm a worthless piece of crap. So I'm like, use me, use me. Let me kill myself in ministry 24 hours a day, seven days a week because now I have a worth. Now I have something. Now I can help people and so I'm not bad, right? I graduate. I end up becoming a part of this ministry called Heart Change, which is like a four-day sozo inner healing workshop on steroids. I do everything extreme. I'm the girl that when I graduated my first year of ministry school at 430 pounds, I went bungee jumping because I had a fear of heights. Like I always go, <laughs> I'm like, what you don't conquer, you won't confront, right? So because I'm so extreme, I go through this inner healing workshop and get so much freedom that I want to be a part of it. So they move me in upstairs. I live there. 
and I do 29 of those workshops, like helping people. Well, then I ended up with an identity, the demon slayer. Anybody manifest, go get Jenna. If somebody's vomiting in the corner, go get Jenna. And I'm like, let me come save the day. The demon slayer is on the way. Oh, I'm rapping already. <laughs> Making rhymes now. And, um, and I loved it. And guess what? I ran my health into the ground. I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. People would drive for hours. And so I felt important. I felt important. And I remember... The night, oh, and then God calls me to Bethel. I don't even know what Bethel is. I don't know who Bill is. I don't know who Chris is. I don't know any of this stuff. All I know is my friend said, hey, do you want to go check out, and this is where Seth all comes in. Do you want to go check out the church that Jesus Culture came from? Don't they sing you won't relent? And I'm like, well, where is it? She says, California. I'm like, I want to get a tan. That's how that went down, okay? <laughs> Seriously. We go just to check out this church, and I happen to meet this guy with tattoos, drug tattoos, by the way, for those of you that don't know it that I recognize, that's great. And um, so we start talking, and we start talking that, about um, being radically you know, changed by God from drugs. And this was a Friday morning, we got there Thursday night, and then Friday night he's speaking, and he looks at me and winks, right? Because I have no idea who he is, right? Well, we go home, God calls us to Bethel. I honestly didn't think I was supposed to go until God literally used Jonah, and then I knew if I didn't go, I was gonna get eaten by a whale. And so I'm like, I'm like, okay, so I go to this school. As soon as she told me BSSM stood for supernatural ministry, I'm like, oh, a whole bunch of me's. I'm going to go and be able to relate to people that are going to tell me why I'm crazy, like in a good way now, just not a bad way now. No, I'm a freak even at Bethel. I don't even know this. <laughs> I think all, when <sighs> I honestly feel like I, in my mind, I really thought I was trying to learn what I thought everybody around me already knew. But the fact is, is regardless of spiritual gifts and regardless of accomplishments, that was never my core. My core is him, and it always has been. And so I'm going deeper into relationship. He's blowing up my mind, my mind that too, and my life. And so, you know, for people that aren't aware, uh, ministry school, there's first year, second year internships, fourth year, whatever you want to do. I go through first year, second year, and then I go on staff as the prophetic deliverance pastor because that's not a big deal, right? And I, and I feel like I'm looking at all this stuff like, what did I stumble into? Like, this is an accident or a coincidence. Like, how did this happen? And so to me, I'm already in my destiny, right? <laughs> I went from the streets to that within like, what, three and a half years, four years? That's pretty quick. So after a couple years, and a whole lot, I'm skipping, I'm trying to get somewhere. God calls me down here. <laughs> God calls me down here in the craziest way. And the first year I lived down here, I lived down here with Seth and Lauren, and we lived in Newbury Park. And for those of you that don't know, Seth calls me Bevy so much that it's tattooed. <laughs> Um, actually, the tone changes with whether I'm in trouble or not, because if I'm in trouble, it's Bev, right? And then when Seth is in his self that you guys, if you guys know him, have seen, then it's Beverly, Beverly, right? But he says, he would say to me all the time, Bevy, you just need a family. You just need a family. Now, mind you, while I'm living with them, next thing I know, I'm starting to travel the world, like, all the time, like, 10 months out of 12, And I'm doing these epic things. And next thing I know, I'm in movies with my heroes, people that I looked up to. And I'm doing movies and television and hanging out with people that I just, back in the day, would have given anything just to meet. And then they're coming to me for counseling. Do you know, that's, a, that's I'm not saying this like, no more demon slayer here I come to save the day. I'm like in shock of my own life. But then Seth and Lauren get called to Bethel Austin and I moved to Beverly Hills, because that's what you do, right? And the doors to Hollywood had been open to me very early. Next thing I know, I'm sitting down with my icons. Icons? Yeah, is that, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why that sounded weird. Um, 
but a month after I moved to Beverly Hills, the pandemic hit. And I clearly feed off of people, even though I don't want to stick around long enough to actually connect to you. I just want to come heal you and then leave. That's what I want to do. And then I want to go sit alone and make out with my iPad, right? And watch TikToks. <laughs> I discovered TikToks during the pandemic. It was not a good pairing. And, uh, and I don't know how long in. I was never a drinker. And here's where we're about to get real. I was never a drinker. And I think I had this old bottle of gin that had been sitting up above my stove for quite a while. Well, I decide, you know, mind you, I'm making God. I've never been in ministry for money, but God made it extremely monetarily favorable. But people were hurting during the pandemic. And so I cut my price down and did $100 sessions because I was just at home trying to fill time. So I'm doing five, six sessions a day with people all over the world, six days a week. And I have no outlet. I don't have Seth in the backyard at a picnic table. I don't have, you know, I had Nick and Kyle and Lori. Lori would come over. I, thank you for coming today. Lori would come over to, and listen to me just verbally process while she's helping me pack for whatever next trip I'm going on. And, um, and one night I just grabbed some gin and tonic. Like I was like, oh, I'm going to have a gin and tonic. And then the next night. And then the next, and I'm doing it so innocently, right? Not knowing. <laughs> I hate to say once an addict, always an addict. That's, I don't believe that. I believe people can totally recover. But there are some people that have chemistry that you can't. <laughs> you just have to not play with it, right? But I didn't know that yet about alcohol. Well, then it got to where I couldn't relax in the evenings without it. And then it's taking more to be able to relax. And then, you know, I'll save the details how it build. But then, next thing you know, I'm going to Rome and experience a horrific trauma that happened over there and had to come home a couple weeks early. And because so many epic things were going on in my life at the time, I just kept my eyes on what was good. And did, I did what Zach talked about this morning. Rome didn't happen. I'm just going to, you know, go to David's tent in Europe and, you know, hang out with Jason Upton. You know, like, that's cool, right? I'm just going to keep doing all these epic dream things and just forget about all of this that's building. And also not telling anybody that I'm starting to realize I'm struggling with alcohol really bad. And, uh, and then it got really bad. And now I'm filming from home and I can't even get on camera without taking a shot to stop the shakes. And then I'm putting vodka in a water bottle and sipping before I'm even off camera filming Christian television. So you can look at this at how bad I was, but imagine the guilt and shame. Makes you drink more. Because now you don't want to feel any of it. And then God said to me, you know, Jen, we can keep doing what you're doing because you love it or we can cultivate family. And I kept thinking how Seth used to always say, Bevy, you just need a family. Because here I'm traveling the world and doing all these epic things, but I'm doing them alone, completely alone. And, uh, <laughs> and I, at the time, my instant thought about cultivating family was because my friend, Sean Bowles is a friend of mine, so is, uh, you guys know Michelle Lutz, she came and sang. They had just moved up to Santa Clarita, and at the time, we were all really close. I just assumed I'd go up there, but then God's like, they have their own itinerant ministries. They're like, we would, how often would we actually get together? And then I just kept thinking about Limitless because I always have said this. I've said this to 10 million people. Limitless has always been different. When I came here, no green rooms, no security, no celebrity church. Nobody cares about big deal names. And I hate to say it, but I had been immersed in a world where people did. And I had my own. Now I'm, I'm my own big deal name. 
and, but I'm dying inside. I'm absolutely killing myself and showing up for the world and killing myself, literally. So I called Tertia. <laughs> and I told her what God had said to me. And she actually said, oh, my gosh, I had a dream. And I just told Cody, I think that Jenna's going to come live with us while she looks for a house. Now, mind you, it took me three months to get out here because, you know, I went to Hawaii and some things went down. <laughs> you know. Um, and she said to me, because at the time I was hosting these retreats, I was renting these mansions in Malibu and having people come and go through, you know, inner healing boot camp and then going to my room and drinking. Healing people all day and then going and killing myself alone in my room, Right. And the guilt and the shame, the guilt and the shame, the guilt and the shame. But I couldn't get free. My physical body could not get free, but I was under so much pull and so much demand that I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And I wanted to. And I had so many prayers where I cried to God and said, God, I really want to drink, but I don't want to want to. I really want to drink, and I hate that I want to drink, but I really don't want to want to. And that was my prayer for a really long time. She said this new couple started going to our church, and he's a realtor. So me and Marshall started talking. I hadn't met him face-to-face yet, but we were talking for a couple months when I found time (laughs) in between a while. And uh, so the plan was to come out here and rent a great big huge house and host retreats because I was still going to come out here and somehow still help everybody else. That was my plan. (laughs) And... um. So the day that I move out here, and you guys, this chain of events is very, very important. And I wanted to hit this mark by 11, so I'm really glad. (laughs) Um, I move out here February 22nd. That's the night I met Marshall and Declan and Adeline. We all sat around the table. I'm pretty sure in that moment, Marshall actually instantly became one of my best friends. Before I knew what we were about to go through. And then it's amazing how much I wanted to still hide behind the mask of the big name that I was. And Tertia just is not having that. (laughs) And uh, my birthday was February 25th. And we all went to Olive Garden. Dave went, all the Tuckers, all of us, and Marshall and the kids came. And we went home. And then Marshall's wife passed away the next morning. And Cody and we all went and prayed over Anna at the hospital. (sighs) And something happened that day. And Marshall never went back to his house. I don't blame him. He moved him and the kids moved in with us. So we all lived in a big house. Cody and Tertia, Marshall and the kids and myself. So I move in with six kids, three other adults and Dave, sorry, four. (laughs) And a whole lot of dogs. And other furry things. And then things that don't have fur. (laughs) And dogs that don't know that they're senile. And (laughs) dogs that can need to be in Olympics jumping. You know, like, I'm not an animal lover. Although, clearly, it's starting to change. Um, No, actually, to be honest, I have avoided animals my whole life. Because fur was involved in some of the abuse that I endured. And after falling in love with Layla, Sandy's dog, last week, I'm thinking that maybe one of Tiffany's dreams that I rebuked might come true, that one day I might get enough healing. Might actually, nope, not there yet. <laughs> not there yet. So, anyways. We got thrusted into a level of family and relationship that you can't undo I mean, even in knockout, drag-out arguments, you can't undo it. Um, An equity that you can't recreate, you know? And I remember, but I was, oh, by the way, I was honest with Tertia that I was struggling with alcohol when I came out. I wasn't, I didn't lie about it. I I just was going to bed at 6 o'clock all the time. (laughs) So this is where not only does it get really ugly? But I want you guys to keep in mind that while your pastors 
were coming to this church and showing up and pouring out to you guys every day. They were dealing with a drunken mess at their home, in their home, in their bedroom. Meltdown after meltdown. Something let go of everything I was trying to hold together. And I kept thinking I could stop. I wanted to. And I remember about two weeks after we all moved in together, I remember Marshall cornering me in the kitchen. And he's like, you need to stop stuffing your pain to show up for me. I'm like, I'm not going to dump this on you. And he's like, one person's pain doesn't disqualify another. And all of a sudden, it was like these headphones came off, and all the things that Tertia had been saying to me, all the things that Cody had been saying to me, started to resonate. But even though my heart was pure, and I wanted what Cody and Tertia, I couldn't get it. I, my, mind you, I had been on a lot of alcohol for a while. So I couldn't, I couldn't really function at a normal place enough to really super get it, but I was trying. I was really trying. And uh, some of you guys remember when I was walking around here with a horrific broken face and black eye. I'd like to say that that wasn't alcohol. But when I got to the place where I was really physically harming myself, and it's getting worse, not better, because now I'm being drowned in love. Now I am receiving so much love and acceptance and compassion, mess after mess. And God didn't show me until later that it was because I come from a family that you mess up, I don't talk to you. You mess up, I shut you out. And I almost feel like God let me make mess after mess because what that did is it broke off the layers and layers and layers of now you're giving up on me. Now you're giving up on me. Now you're giving up on me. I just want to find my way out, and I'll get there. Just don't give up on me. That was like my heart posture. I'm going to get there. Just don't give up on me. And uh, anyways, I remember Cody and Tertia. I vaguely remember Cody and Tertia. Oh, wait, hold on. I missed one part. This is where Joel comes in. <laughs> oh, this is humiliating and so beautiful at the same time. So I decided to come to midweek taint during Pentecost nights, mind you. And I was mad. I didn't want to be here, but I promised her I'd come. And she said, I don't care how you come. <laughs> and, but I now know that I had so many un- open doors. I can tell you right now, I was under demonic attack like you would not believe because all I felt in my head was hate. I did not want to be here. I did not want to look at them. I just like, and, but I'm so self-aware how the demonic works because it's my forte that I knew it wasn't me, but it was what I was feeling. But I was like, I'm out. I'm going to leave. So I try to leave and freaking Joelle <laughs> couldn't get to me quick enough. So she gives a nod. I saw it to Randy and he embraces me in such a hug until Joelle could get to me. And I'm like, no, I'm out, I'm out. So in the courtyard, now mind you, I didn't cuss Joelle out, but I was cussing. And I went off. And, she, and then she does this at me. Please don't leave. Don't leave. I go, but I'm not going back in that room. I was mad. I was mad. But I can't say no to Joelle, even under demonic attack. <laughs> Golly, man, it sucked. <laughs> I wanted to leave so bad. And, um, but this is where, this is when I got it. And this is when everything changed was this night because it doesn't mean I instantly stopped drinking. I wish, but I got it. And, uh, whew. Joel's so sneaky. So I didn't want to be in there. And of course, Lloyd gets up and gives me his spot. Cause I want to stand at the back wall. So what do I do? I'm going to be like a, I'm going to throw a temper tantrum, and I'm going to sit there, but I'm going to cover my face and pull something over my head, and I'm going to be like this, and I'm just going to be all super, like, gangster, right? Because I'm going to win. I'm going to keep my demons, right? And um, 
So Joelle, of course, gets behind the mic and says, I just feel like there's some people under attack tonight. (laughs) I just feel like the enemy's really coming at, and if that's you, and before she could even finish, it was like my spirit was not even going to listen to my flesh or my soul. And my uh, next thing I know, I'm at the, like I ran, like to the front. And you know what? Everybody in that room came around me and prayed stuff off of me that I felt the tangible presence leave. And I felt the adoption of this church come over me. I didn't know what to do with it yet, but I felt it. So then I know as I grab my phone, y'all think, Christian Jenna in love with Jesus is going to pull out scripture? No, I'm pulling out Shaka Khan. I leave church that night. And I had been listening to Shaka because that's what I do. I'm unafraid or unashamed. And so I want to read this to you. As I'm walking to my car, right before I get to my car, God says, I want you to listen to that song, but I want you to listen to it as, I say, as, I, as if I'm singing it to you. Now, I've sung this song since my breakdancing days, okay, which I can still do, by the way. And uh, it took on a whole new meaning. It says, I look in your eyes and I can see you've loved so dangerously. You're not trusting your heart to anyone. You tell me you're going to play it smart or through before the start, but I believe that we've only just begun. When it's this good, there's no saying no. I want you so I'm ready to go through the fire to the limit to the wall for a chance to be with you. I'd gladly risk it all through the fire, through whatever come what may for a chance at loving you. Now I heard I'd take it all away. I walked away from a very lucrative ministry and a big name. I couldn't carry the weight of it. I crumbled. You know that term that says your gifting and your anointing will open up doors that your character is not ready? But it wasn't because I didn't want to. My heart is so pure. But I had so much pain and so much damage. And all I could look at was what I did wrong. I couldn't see that I had a father that was going, baby, you hurt. Stop so I can heal you. Right down to the wire, even through the fire. And then, this is when I broke. I know you're afraid of what you feel. You still need time to heal. And I can help if you'll only let me try. I sat in my car in this parking lot. I can't even tell you how long I was out there weeping. Thank you, Shaka. (laughs) And all of a sudden, those words were completely different. And not long after that, I remember Cody and Tricia sitting at the foot of my bed. And I was pretty tanked. And we're talking ugly tanked, not even pretty tanked. And I just remember looking at them and saying, I need someone to make decisions for me because I'm going to die. And I ended up going into detox, but I was still trying to control my healing. And also in the middle of this, oh gosh, oh, I thought that said 21. Okay, I'm good. Um, Mind you, from the very beginning, Tersha wanted me to meet with with Sandy. Oh, I was resistant. She'd never been anything nice to me, and I couldn't figure out why I did not want to meet with this woman. And it wasn't a competitive thing, because we're wired very much alike. It wasn't like that. I didn't know why. And I was so, Tertia felt it. The first time she said, oh, (laughs) something there. And I couldn't figure out why. Finally, I just, the Lord's like, why don't you ask me? Oh, Lord, why don't I want to meet with Sandy? Her name is Sandy with an I. That's my mother's name. I'm like, oh, so you're going to use the same name to heal me that broke me? Wow. Wow. Okay. If you say so. So, Mind you, up to this point, I did not realize the level of satanic ritual abuse that I had been through and the programming and how much programming was still there. And honestly, I really feel like the concussion that I got from breaking my face unlocked a lot. I really do think that. Um, While I was in sober living, and I'm going to save the gross details, something happened. And I literally called Tertia, and I'm like, 
okay, this is happening, blah, 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 blah. And she goes, no way. She goes, Sandy literally called me this morning and said, I think Jenna has been um, a victim of satanic ritual abuse. And I'm like, shut up. I was in denial. Like, I'm even calling people that I know up at Bethel going, do you think this? Come to find out most people that really have been through that are really resistant to accepting it. (laughs) That was me. Um, But the more I actually started to get with Sandy, the more I realized the magnitude. And not only that, but that they knew it. I wanted to pretend that they didn't know and it was just the enemy operating through them. But no, that's not the case. But I (laughs) I got out of sober living. You guys are about to get a picture of what was going on behind the scenes when your lovely pastors went to South Africa. Um, I thought I only needed detox. I thought if I could just get the alcohol out of my body, I'd be fine. I had no idea the level of pain that now was not numbed that was going to surface and the intrusive racing thoughts. And I made it about 10 days, and I was on my way to Florida to go gator hunting because that's what you do. And I was going to stop and see a friend in Nashville. I I don't even know exactly when I started drinking. But I think I made it about 10 days sober. But this time, all that stuff was surfaced now. And I went from zero to half dead very quickly. I landed in Nashville and this is embarrassing, but I'm just being raw and honest. I don't know when I bought them. I don't know when I drank them, but I had two empty fists of Tito's in my suitcase. And somebody, I don't know, but somebody got me off the plane. Apparently, I fell out of it twice. Two months later, I got a text from somebody on Instagram. goes, looks like you're doing better. I met you while you, oh, gosh. I really hope videos don't pop up someday. They do? Oh, well. God will fix it. He's my defender. Um. But I was in Nashville one day, and I checked myself into detox and residential. Did, I think, 30 days out there. But here is where it all started to change. I was a nervous wreck coming home because I knew that I was coming home to a firing squad from Cody and Tertia and Marshall. I knew it. And I knew that I was going to go into sober living. Like, it's not fair for the kids It's not, I knew I needed to walk away from everything and go in a bubble of healing. But I came home, and Marsha was so excited to pick me up from the airport, and I kept waiting. Oh, he's going to wait till the kids aren't with us. (laughs) Like, that's totally what I thought. And uh, he's like, so, da-da-da-da. And I'm like, bro, what? And then I get home, and they're all so excited to see me, and the kids are running and hugging me. And I'm like, oh, they're going to wait till the kids go to bed. Like, I'm waiting for the hammer to fall. And then I go upstairs, and I'm unpacking my stuff. And I remember Tertia comes and stands in the doorway. And Marshall comes and is standing behind her. And they're just being nice. And I'm like, you guys, I thought I was coming home to a firing squad. This is what the heart of Jesus says. Why would you think that? You did all the right things. You made a mistake. You knew you weren't okay. You checked yourself into rehab in a state you'd never even been in, didn't know anybody. Jenna, why would you think that? That broke me. What? That's how you view this? Like, I just didn't even know what to do with that kind of love. So I did. I went into sober living most of the time. In fact, probably more than half the time that I've been here, I've been in sober living. In fact, I just moved out again. Three weeks ago? Two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Um, I did. Um, When I moved out of sober living the first time, I thought I had it. And I was doing really well. And I poured myself into church. I poured myself into a lot of things. And Tertia said a couple times, like, I didn't keep my therapy with Sandy. I was feeling good. I wasn't falling apart. I wasn't a mess. I wasn't drunk. I thought I, I thought I honestly thought I was doing good. And then my birthday rolled around. And more love was poured out on me on my birthday. 
I also was in a pretty hardcore living situation that I was really struggling with. And I had taken some hits, emotional hits, some hurts right before my birthday. And then all this love. And I'm the one that doesn't self-sabotage when things are bad. I'm the one that self-sabotages when everything's good. Because how many of you guys, when everything is good, live in the anxiety of when is it going to fall apart? And then you subconsciously will create a certain level of chaos in your own life in order to feel normal. Right? The whole time, even in a bad living situation, even drunk, all of it, I was talking to God the whole time. The whole time. And he just kept saying, don't let go. And I was like, God, when is this going to be done? I was just released to go back into ministry right before my birthday. And I really think that I sabotaged. So I relapsed for a couple of days after my birthday. Thank God it was only a couple of days and not months. And went into residential again. I was so thankful when Cody and Tricia and Marshall came and saw me there. Because I just was feeling like, what am I doing? Like, I want this so bad. I want it so bad. Why can't I get there? And, um, and I was carrying a lot of guilt because I have such a great relationship with all of their kids. And I didn't want to disappear every few months I want to be something stable in their lives, you know? And, um, but they just came and loved on me, you know? And I know for a fact that, like, none of you guys had any idea what was going on. And I'm only just now getting to know people in this church, and I've been here almost two years, (laughs) or a year and a half, because I came here and was so shut down and so guarded, And shame. I didn't know how to look, especially when you're somebody that comes out here after being a speaker, you know, and then you come out here a mess. It's embarrassing. I don't care who you are. But when I got out of residential and went back into sober living, I got with Sandy. And Sandy, Cody and Tricia, Zach and Vanessa, Philip went through several hour long grief recovery, deliverance, and we went deep with the stuff with my parents. And I walked through some some of the grossest, most hardest things. But Jesus held my hand through all of it. And I'll never forget the day that it broke, and I could tell that those fragmented parts of my heart, which, mind you, I have been counseling people for years, helping them get their fragments healed, not having any clue that I was shattered, (laughs) absolutely shattered. And I remember when, at one point, I do want to say this. I remember one time I was bawling, one of my major meltdowns. And uh, I looked at Cody and Tertia and I was like, is it real? Did I even do all the things that I did? Like how? how did I do this and this and this and this, you know? And Tertia's like, I think God showed you what was possible. And then he's like, but before we go any further, I'm going to pull my daughter back. And I'm going to remind her who she is to me. Because it doesn't matter who she is to everybody else. It matters who you are to me, Jenna. And um, God affected me. And, you know, I was talking to Tertia this morning. And she said something, and she's right. I've only just started praying for some of you. Just started to even feel confident enough to even pray for people, you know. But there's something coming out of me. And I guarantee you, as I've walked through the last 18 months to two years, never once was I, ooh, I'm going to get breakthrough and get crazy anointed, and then I'm going to go save people. No, I'm like, I'm trying to live. I'm trying to not break my face again. Right? I'm trying to not show up at church wasted. Right? I'm just trying to live. Right? And I'm not going to lie. I've hurt people. I've been met with some forgiveness. Some I haven't. I have messes to clean up, but I'm willing. I'm so open and take responsibility for my actions. But I do know that I felt the veil lift a couple weeks ago. 
In fact, God was like, now you're comfortable in your bubble. I'm like, I have a family. I had a scripture that I was going to use. Jeff brought it up on Wednesday. I didn't even know this scripture. The fatherless, he is a father too. The widow, he is a champion friend. The lonely, he makes part of a family. I'm just going to stop right there. Not that not all of God's word is great, but that's what I want to highlight. God didn't care what I could do for him in ministry. God didn't care about a big name that I could be for him. He cared that I had years and years and years of trauma and pain that was still inside. You watch. I'm very aware of where I'm going and what God's doing with me. And I'm finally to a place where I'm actually going to, in a healthy way, be unapologetic for what has gone on. Not that I'm not sorry for anyone I hurt, but it needed to happen. And if God put me with safe family to completely dismantle all that I knew, let me make messes. I keep telling Cody and Tricia that I'm their oldest child. I'm a grown-up Kayla. Down to the bougie, down to the fashion. I might not have lashes and hair right now because I can't afford it, but it will be back. And I had all these cute outfits for today, and the Lord's like, but what do you want to wear? Sneaks. And my Fermata t-shirt. Because this is where I'm at. You couldn't pay me to move back to Beverly Hills. I believe that I was there for a reason, right? But I do know this. I wanted this titled The Intentionality of God. Because God is the only person that when you're doing all the right things in the natural, okay, killing myself behind the scenes, but ministry-wise, you're doing all the things that you think you dream and want to do. And he's like, I don't need you, but I want you. And I love you. And I'm going to pull you away from money. I'm going to pull you away from a lot. (laughs) And you know what? In all honesty, one of the most humbling things for me. Before I moved out here, before I packed my stuff up. When the, it was the night before I called Tertia. I was sitting on my bed looking at my room that looked like Rodeo Drive. There was more Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Prada. I could go on. And I'm holding a fifth of Tito's. Absolutely miserable and alone. And I remember looking at all that stuff and saying, none of this matters. None of this kept me sober. None of this kept me from crashing and imploding. None of this makes me important. And I told God, because I didn't have insurance, and a lot of people have stepped up and helped along the way as far as sober livings. And 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 my rent was, I think, $2,500 a month for a twin bed in a shared room. And I sold a lot of my sneakers. I sold a ton of Louis, a ton of Gucci, and I literally sold all of that stuff to pay for my healing. And I'm so thankful because I remember I told God, I am more than okay with selling the old to build the new. I have no idea what's going to come after today, but I do know that what I thought was important before just isn't. Do you know what's important? Cadence's birthday. These kids... These kids, you know, Limitless Academy is about to start, and I can't believe I get to teach. It's like, don't trust me with kids, right? (laughs) Um, What's important is for any of you guys that think you have opinions about your pastors, and I'm just saying that because I've spoken in enough churches and done enough church health healing. We all have them. We all get opinions how we think things should go. You guys have no idea what they do behind the scenes. You have no idea what they dealt with. 
sometimes you might feel like they're not giving you enough one-on-one or enough attention, but you have no idea who actually might have their attention because God is telling them that. So have, cut them a break. Give them an extra love, you know? And um, God brought me out here and nursed me back to health. I've never... I used to think that all the epic was a sign of my relationship with God. The sign or the fact that he took me away from all of it and hid me out here in this bubble is the sign of my relationship with God. And put me with safe people that weren't afraid of my mess. I remember the first week I was here. I was over there in the youth hall with a little staff meeting. And they were talking about something come up. And I'm like, oh, well, I can do this. And Trisha's like, nope. I think we just want you to be out here and let us love you. What? Do you not know what I can bring? (laughs) And I remember feeling hurt. What do you think my heart heard? You're not good enough. You need to get yourself cleaned up first. No, she hears God. And God knew what he was doing. And she could see what he was doing. I just couldn't see it yet. I'm going to land with one more thing regarding Sandy. Years ago, I think, I think it was right between the time that I graduated second year and before I became a pastor. And I remember Seth said to me, Seth was such a voice for me while I was a student because he knew how I was gifted, but I was hiding it. I was hiding my gifts. I was hiding all this. And Seth was someone that I really believe God gave me that even as I was trying to figure out all this that was blowing up with me, he really helped me. But I remember one day he looked at me and he goes, Jenna, in my head I hear Bevy, but he wasn't calling me Bevy yet. Um, He goes, Jenna, have you ever had a Jenna? Have you ever had someone that can look at you and do for you what you do for others? And I remember in that moment feeling so alone. I had never had that. I want someone to just look at me and go, and this, and this, and this, and this, and we would just break it off, and da 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 done. Right? Like a typewriter, da-da-da-ding, right? I don't know, that's what I saw in my head, so I said it. <laughs> I have one now. I've never, I mean, Tertia too. Whoo! Tertia can read me like a book. Like, I can be in another room, and she can feel my spirit shift, and she can walk in and go, what's going on? Bro. <laughs> You are like CIA prophet, <laughs> okay? <laughs> but I'm, you know, I'm used to being that person. So God bringing me out here to people that see me like that, that can see what's attacking me, that can see what's there. And, okay, we're at 30, I might go 11.35. One last thing. There was one more moment that I skipped over that I wanted to say. I didn't want to believe about my parents. I was so programmed to protect them, and I actually felt love for them. And I remember this one day, Tertia came, and I realize now the kahunes that it had to have taken for her to do this. But she sat down next to me, and she just goes, you realize that your parents are evil, right? And I'm like, I just immediately want to go into defense, right? And she goes, I'm not saying they are evil. I'm saying what they have done is evil. You know that, right? And I immediately defend. But I could feel the, I saw in the spirit, the weight of God on what she was saying. And I don't know if I've ever told her this, but I could see in the spirit. I'm like, is this alcohol? Or, you know, I don't know. It was the spirit. Your gifts don't turn off. Um, And it was almost like I had this, glass shield around me and when she spoke it it was like this little ding like a like something that grows in your windshield but I wasn't I didn't believe her right because I was programmed not to but I remember that night I I was in the bathroom and I just kept thinking what I saw when she said that and I go God 
when I think about my parents, I feel love for them. I feel compassion for them. I actually feel horrible that my dad has to live with the guilt of all the years of what he did for me. Okay, because that's normal, right? But it's where my heart was. And God goes, Jenna, I'm going to show you something. And it's going to be really hard. But I'm going to hold your hand. And that was the night that that shattered like a windshield. And the things that he showed me were horrific. But he was with me the whole time. But what it did is it caused this unraveling for me to actually see oh my gosh, this horrific protection and love that I have for them is actually demonic. And it's like, it's like a really twisted demonic Stockholm syndrome. And it wasn't until that moment, mind you, I just turned 50 this year, although you would never know it. Um, and I, because God re- re- restores with a w- canker worm, so I feel like I'm aging in reverse for real. And uh, But God... God, use these moments. How, here's what I want to get to with this. God talks to y'all. Don't hold back the things that you're hearing. What's the worst that can happen? If you're, go- if you're approaching someone with love, what's the worst that can happen? You break a lie off of them, they're not believing. Or you might, you never know what God's going to do. But so many of you guys hear God in such a massive way and disqualify what you're hearing right? But also the other thing that I felt like God really wanted me to say, because there's a level of prophetic and seer and feelers and hear that are, this church is so freaking gifted, but what's happening is you guys are becoming aware. That's the difference. Everybody's gifted, but you're becoming aware, right? And so one of the things that happens, because I just had this conversation with Zoe, when you are prophetic and God is showing you something, often what you sense at all is the negative, But then what happens is the enemy comes in and tells you that you're judgmental and you're critical and you turn on you. When the fact is, is that if God is showing, it's because God is showing you something he's, and he's already given you the authority to bring freedom to that person. Because you can either look at what's wrong with somebody because you notice the negative or a struggle in their life, or you're going to see it through the love of Jesus and be like, like how they did me. She is in so much pain. She doesn't know what to do with herself. And she's pouring everything down her throat to not feel it. But we're going to love the hell right out of her. Right? Or they could have come to me and been like, girl, get it together. You need to stop drinking. If you're going to live here, you're going to da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Right? Because what, that's how most of us were raised and what we were, you know. But in this church, there is something busting out. And just because you sense negative, it's not about that you sense it. It's what are you going to do with it? Are you going to approach someone with the love of Jesus and bring freedom to a bondage that, or show them a blind spot? Right? Because if your heart is partnered with him, that's what it is. But don't let the enemy tell you that you're critical and judgmental and only notice negative about people. And tell people what you're sensing. Tell people what you're seeing. Because that, coming to me and telling me my parents were evil, who'd have known that I needed that? Who'd have known that that was going to break open something in my life that then led to this all this time with Sandy and Zach and Vanessa and Cody and Tertia and Philip? Just literally, I'm sitting there as they're just doing surgery. I learned to let my family fight for me because I realized I couldn't do it myself. I wanted to, but I couldn't. So how many of you guys have these great relationships with God and then absolutely beat yourself up when you fall on your face? Or beat yourself up when you have a little struggle? He, he wastes nothing. Nothing. Now you know what's going on behind the scenes with me. Love on your pastors. I love that no matter where I go, no matter what I do, no matter who I meet, I have a launching pad, I have a family, I have a foundation, and I am not alone. And I have more than learned that I'm still loved after I make a mess, right? There's a safety and a comfort in that. So I just want to pray because we all have struggles and we all have addictions in different ways. It might be food. It might be, I might have dealt with shopping before too. Um, uh, Pornography, it doesn't matter. 
What matters is that the enemy keeps us bound by us constantly disqualifying ourselves from the love of a father. When he's not looking at, stop that. He's looking at what's going on in your heart that you're finding something to cope with. So I just want to pray over everyone. Lord, I hope I said what you wanted me to say. There's so much. I could talk for hours to tell the story. But, Lord, it's your story, and I want every word to bring you glory, even the dark stuff. And, Lord, for anybody in here struggling or anybody that thinks that they're disqualified, let them look at my mess and realize they, can, they still got a lot of space. But, Lord, I pray more than anything that you would use my words to pierce every enemy and bring every single heart into alignment with your truth and that your truth would be so loud so loud that it just absolutely overshadows any negative and any lies. And I just thank you, God, for this last season. I thank you for the hard. I thank you for the good. I thank you for all the wonderful moments and deep connections and friendships. But I thank you that you didn't give up on me. In Jesus' name, amen.